Hey everyone, it's Jim here um, for a third week in a row of recommending you uh, revisit a past favorite conversation of mine from I Do Movies Badly uh, history while I am uh, once again on hiatus during the month of March. This one is coming to you all the way back from May of 2016 and it is um, exploring the films of English filmmaker Andrea Arnold as recommended by Jenny Miller. Um, Jenny Miller, uh, for those of you who don't know, on top of being just a, an absolutely delightful human being, um, a wonderful writer, and a really fun presence at karaoke, uh, may, was, was a little bit internet famous recently, um, as in back in February, she uh, tweeted out an email that she got from Green Book producer Charles Wessler, um, in which he uh, quite believably, and not at all futilely, um, tried to debunk her review of Green Book by insisting that the film is not racist at all. Um, the, her, her tweet was liked something over like 16,000 times um, and retweeted and commented on uh, about, about 7,000 times. So Jenny Miller having a, a little bit of, of uh, internet fame, uh, her, her brush with it, um, thanks to um, what could arguably be, arguably be the most divisive um, Oscar win of all time for a film that I'm sure uh, nobody will be discussing um, in film schools in the future. But speaking of films that will be discussed in film schools in the future, Andrew Arnold is a perfect example of that uh, because one of the films that we talk about is her masterpiece, Fish Tank, which I believe is... Um, in the Criterion Collection, and rightfully so. But the three films uh, we discussed were, at the time, the only three that she had made, because uh, uh, American Honey had not yet come out. Um, and I, I can actually say with 100% uh, certainty that um, Andrea Arnold, with the exception of filmmakers that have made one or two movies, um, you know, I'm thinking of Ari Aster uh, for Hereditary, which made my top ten this year. Um, Andrea Arnold is the only filmmaker that I have seen 100% of their catalog. Um, of course, as a director, Andrew Arnold has only made four films, but I have seen all four of them. But the ones, or the three that we discussed at the time, um, were the only three she had released, which was her um, her debut, Red Road, um, Fish Tank, and then uh, her adaptation of Wuthering Heights. And all of these movies, I thought, were fantastic, and all of them dealing with um, an exploration of basically... Um, class, and specifically kind of from the POV of someone who is in the uh, a lower working class um, society. Uh, Red Road, I thought, a as a debut, was, was quite good, but of the three was uh, a little bit... Um, a little bit rocky, but, you know, a new, a new filmmaker trying to kind of find her feet. Fish Tank, I thought, was absolutely phenomenal. Um, just a great lead performance and a really uh, and a really kind of emotionally frustrating um, turn for Michael Fassbender. And then Wuthering Heights, I won't necessarily say I think was the best one, but is the one that I keep thinking about of all three of these. Um, really surprising me as being a, an adaptation of a, a literary classic, and yet um, one that does not take a... Um, romantic kind of high-minded approach to it, but instead um, really kind of focusing on the uh, the grit and the grime and the dirt, uh, not just physically but emotionally as well, as it really kind of digs into, um, you know, kind of breaks down or, or, or deconstructs or tears apart this, you know, this romanticism that we have towards adaptations like, um, you know, Jane Eyre and Pride and Prejudice and Sense and Sensibility and Wuthering Heights. Instead, her approach is very much um, these are poor people, and specifically there is a poor black lead. Um, how is he going to experience this... Um, not even aristocratic, but how is he going to experience this, uh, you know, this hierarchical English 
um, society and it really is dirty and it's emotionally uh, very difficult but I think it's a it's an important and it's a wonderful adaptation but one which is certainly not uh, great for a date night but certainly a, a wonderful film American Honey I did eventually see I have to say it's probably of all four of her films the one that I that I connected with the least um, but that's neither here nor there because the, this conversation focuses on just those three titles that she had put out at the time. So um, once again, this is a conversation with Jenny Miller at Bust about the films of Andrea Arnold. Um, it was a wonderful conversation. I hope that you enjoy it. I hope that you enjoy the films. Um, and uh, yeah, I guess tune in next week where I'll be kind of wrapping up the, the month, the hiatus month of, of IDM. Uh, I do movies badly, yes, um, with my final recommendation before I return in April. So uh, enjoy, everybody. Look up idiots in the dictionary. You know what you'll find? A picture of me? No! The definition of the word idiot, which you fucking are! Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to I Do Movies Badly, a podcast exploration of my cinematic ignorance. I'm your host, Jim Rohner, and despite being an amateur film critic since 2006, I am woefully ignorant of many films, filmmakers, and genres that consensus has deemed important. And thus, I have created this podcast to document my journey into cinematic edification. For listeners who are new to the show, at the top of every month, such as this episode, I'll choose a filmmaker or genre of which I am woefully oblivious and discuss the significance and impact of that filmmaker with a guest who will then recommend me three titles most relevant to the topic, which I will then watch and report back on. And if you have been paying attention to my Facebook feed or my last episode at all, you'll know that uh, this month uh for the month of may this delayed episode apologies once again i'm exploring the films of andrea arnold and joining me to discuss is uh she is a regular contributor at bus.com or you can just find her on the internet if you google her at jenny miller that's jenny with an i not a y it is jenny miller uh jenny thank you for joining me here on i do movies badly you know you you can pardon me you can find me in print as well i'm Mm -hmm. i'm on i'm in the print bust which is exciting so Go out and buy one. Thank you. Yeah, and that's bustbust.com, not bus.com. Jenny Miller is not blogging about public transportation. I don't think so, at least. I do enjoy the bus, but I prefer bust. Okay. Um, uh, now, of course, um, if, you, if you're thinking to yourself, Jenny Miller, that name sounds familiar, but you, you haven't been to bust.com or anywhere else, you may know her as, um, as having a blurb on the back of the Trans-Siberian DVD. Uh, which I cur- which I currently have in front of me, and I'll I'll quote Jenny Miller from uh, it looks like it was this premiere, yeah, and it, it says Trans Siberian is chilling one train you shouldn't miss. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that is premiere dot com. Okay, it was a good time. Now, do you, do you still? Um, let me see. This was two thousand eight. Now, almost eight years later, do you still add uh, or 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 purport to believe that Trans Siberian is a train ride that you shouldn't miss? You know, I haven't revisited it, but have fond memories. And as far as the director goes, Shanine is one of the scariest movies I've ever seen in my life. Yes. So um, I have nothing but love for that dude. Okay. I I, I will say that uh, to this day, Trans-Siberian still holds up to me. It's probably Brad Anderson's masterpiece. I love Brad Anderson. I wish he did more stuff. Um, and I wish that I could be best friends with him because I think he's a Brooklyn resident. I'm not entirely sure. He is? So once uh, quoted really out of context for this uh, 
the Dead Girl, I believe it was called, with Brittany Murphy, mm-hmm. and sort of a series of vignettes. And I described one of the vignettes as like very erotic or something. And um, the rest, it's like kind of a messed up movie. And so I found on some like blockbuster comment board they were like who's this jenny miller we know what she's into and it was like no oh i'm not into you know dead people but okay whatever anyway um and for our younger (laughs) listeners uh blockbuster was a store where you used to be able to walk in and rent videos on a variety of formats mostly dvd and vhs tapes um not sure if you know that but um so Jenny, now that we've uh, now that we've uh, solidified your importance to the Trans Siberian Review commu- uh, community, why don't you talk a little bit about the stuff that you do? Because you kind of you you write all over the place, but you you do want to mention or not that you do want to mention. I don't want to put words in your mouth, but you did want to highlight at least bus.com. So why don't you talk about that and really just kind of anything else that you do on the interwebs? Yeah, well, I've been contributing for a really time doing features and profiles and reviews and um that's been a really amazing experience it's always nice to hold your work in your hand um although it is available online as well which you know hey always cool and um i've done you know a lot of blogging reviewing like i feel like if you name it i've Probably tried to sell someone a pitch on it. So, um, you know, I've interviewed the Lizard Man. I interviewed Neil Gaiman when he was doing Coraline. I, you know, now I'm super psyched because being a cranky feminist is very uh, financially uh, a good move, I guess, if you're in media. So I've always been interested in in writing about, um, I've always been drawn to various subcultures and different things, but also, and subversiveness, like, uh, definitely from a feminine view. So you talk about having sort of a, a, an affinity for, and a, a, let's say a talent for, uh, subversive work, if you will. And so we are talking about Andrea Arnold, who I'm going to have to take your word on it because this is a filmmaker I know literally nothing about. Um, peek behind the curtain for the listeners. Um, a lot of times I'll reach out to guests and kind of be like, Hey, do you want to come on and talk about fill in the blank it didn't happen that way with jenny miller i just reached out i'm like hey jenny i want you on my podcast who can you talk about and so she's like how about andrew arnold I'm like i have no idea that it is great but andrew arnold is uh, is allegedly uh also a very um subversive um artist and filmmaker and stuff so um why don't we even before we kind of get into the the i don't not the heavier discussion but the, the really meaty discussion why don't we take a step back and um talk about your first exposure to andrew arnold how did you how did you first run into her work and was it, you know, what was it about that you saw and like, oh wow, this is someone I, I, I should pay attention to or was it even a case where you're like, yeah, this is someone that stood out to you right away? Um, I saw Fish Tank when I was working for uh, Tribeca, Tribeca Film and um, I was just blown away. Like, I don't remember the exact viewing experience as opposed to Wuthering Heights, which I saw at Sundance, and I remember that very clearly. But um, <clears throat> I was covering it for Tribeca Film, and it's just this really uh, sort of intense, claustrophobic look of this teen girl who is really active 
blacks out and has a lot of trouble, a lot of problems. She lives on um, an estate in Essex, which I was not familiar with sort of estate, the concept of estate housing in the Mm -hmm. UK. Um, so, uh, you know, like her mom likes to party and she brings home this hot new boyfriend who's Michael Fassbender. Mm. And, um, you know, at that point, like he'd been in 300 and hunger and I hadn't seen hunger and, uh, you know, 300, who, whatever. I don't remember anything about that. So, um, it was just kind of like, that was a revelation, but also the way she made the film, it's very... Um, there's a lot of, uh, sort of handheld jarring, you know, she gets right up into the characters faces or their points of view. There's this one amazing scene, um, where, uh, one of the characters is, is kind of drunk and falling asleep and the other characters put her to bed and is, is sort of helping take her shoes off. And she's looking underneath the crook of her elbow down through her elbow at this person and it's it takes you a minute to realize what it is but it's so stunning so it's like this very kind of raw there's a lot of raw beauty in it like it's super dark there's a lot of you know girls calling everyone calling each other cunts and beating each other up and you know she goes and into like breaks into some empty apartment and practices break dancing like it's it's you know it's got that British miserablest vibe but like what I found from um, interviewing her very briefly and she was quite jet lagged and it was not my best work at all. But, you know, she was really sort of like surprised. Like, why would you think that was so, you know, kind of brutal or, you know, I didn't I didn't use the word ugly, but, you know, similar to Mike Lee being surprised that you know, I'm not a miserableist. What are you talking about? Blah! You know, like, <laughs> she's very much like, you know, there's this one scene where um, two characters dance to Nas, Lice a bitch, and then you die, and then you fly, or whatever. And I was like, that's kind of a heavy scene. And she's like, no, it's so, you know, inspirational. It's like carpe diem, whatever. So it's just, I had never really seen anything like it. And the protagonist is this, like, very prickly teenage girl who is trying to figure out stuff about sex and trying to figure out stuff about who she wants to be and where she wants to go and what she wants to do and um you know it's not clear like there are a lot of relationships that develop that are very morally gray even though you like the characters um there are some kind of amazing moments of like like almost shocking violence in a way that um, not in like a gory way but in a way where like uh, it's just raw Mm -hmm. so anyway I have a lot of feelings about Fish Tank (laughs) it's pretty amazing and um, also Michael Fassbender is like offensively hot in the movie he's super young and has, like, the first scene you see him, he comes in shirtless with his pants, like, almost down to his pubes. And you're just like, get the fuck out of here. Like, just stop it, you know? So, and that's what, she, you know, the the protagonist is thinking as well, mm-hmm. probably. <laughs> well, you, you could have you stopped that sentence after Michael Fassbender is offensively hot, and it still would have applied. You, you didn't have to ne- necessarily narrow it down to Fish Tank, but... Um, 
stepping back a little bit, I don't want to get too much into Fish Tank specifically because that's what we have the recommendations at the end for, but you talked about one thing that, that well, not that there was only one thing in, in what you just said which appealed to me or, or, or piqued my interest, but that idea of Andrea Arnold uh, and the, the kind of the British, what was the word you used? Mis- Miserabilism. Miserabilism. So let's talk a little bit about that because I, I find it fascinating, and I mentioned this to you in, in the when we were emailing a little bit earl, uh, earlier today, but just that idea of I love as a as an American looking at a, a foreign filmmaker, and despite what people may think, yes, I guess technically England does cal- qualify as, as a foreign film and a foreign filmmaker because it's not made here, but um, just kind of seeing what appeals or, or what is important to other cultures and sort of how we can either have a disconnect with it here or what we connect with it. So let's talk a little bit about Andrew Arnold as like as a, a British filmmaker first and foremost. If we're going to bring qualifiers in here, and we'll, we'll certainly get into that a little bit later, but as a British or as an English filmmaker, what is you know what does she sort of bring to the table in, in that regard? Well, um, I, I think her portrayal of the working class in the UK, whether that's England or Scotland or you know even in Wuthering Heights, it's not work. You know, it's very much about class. Obviously, all of it, mm-hmm. even though it's not always at a, you know the estates in Essex. But um, I think the idea like. I, I just think, I mean, I think British ideas of class and race are somewhat different to Americans than our ideas, and their their working class looks different than our working class, and you know, it's just it's it's just sort of an interesting thing to explore, and it's super rich for material, and um, you know, someone like Andrew Arnold, like she grew up in the estates, she's not. Like, she's not going to talk about if any of this stuff is biographical, but she's, like, kind of, you know, I grew up in the States, but, like, she's, but she thought it was great, and, like, she loved it, and, you know, it wasn't, like, how we interpret. So I think, like, maybe the way we interpret it um, is different than and what she thinks. I can't purport to know what she thinks. Um, I have not seen really any Ken Loach movies, to be honest. Um, my experience of British miserabilism does not go too far, simply because the ones I have seen are just so grim that I can't, like, I just can't do it. And Andrew Arnold has these amazing glimmers of um, humanity and hope and sensuality and I think um, the important thing that you get from her films is that um, it's all very morally gray. So I don't, I don't know if that answers your question, but... You know, everybody, after giving a great answer, everybody says that same thing. I don't know if this answers your question, but um, have, have you ever seen um, This Is England from, uh, from Shane Meadows? I have not. But I, it's, I know it. Yeah, and it, it's not. I wouldn't necessarily classify it as uh, as fitting into British miserableism. But Shane Meadows, uh, Shane Meadows was very much influenced by this this idea of uh, this filmmaking movement. I think it was in Britain in like the fifties or the sixties. But like kitchen sink realism, and that it was that sort of thing where it was raw and gritty and dealt with class and specifically the lower class. And so that was just one thing that I was uh, that I was reminded of. And this is England is a. Uh, a fantastic film and, and one of those which is dark and gritty and oftentimes uh, a little bit difficult to watch especially considering it follows a 
I think he's like a ten or eleven year old kid who uh, who becomes a who falls in with a skinhead crowd. Right. Um, a real pick me up is basically what I'm saying. Yeah, like so, Tyrannosaur by Patty Patty Considine. Oh God, yeah. Yeah, I almost walked out of that within the first five minutes. I was just like, "This is bullshit." <laughs> it's really uh, like it was. I remember watching that movie, and I wanted to see it real, real bad because I, I like Peter Milan, I like Patty Constant. I'm like, oh, directorial debut. This was, and I, I think I watched it by myself, and just, I, it took me a while to just pick myself up off my chair after yeah. that. I was assigned to review that, and that was really one of those moments where I was like, "Is my mental health worth this? <laughs> like, you know, fifty or a hundred bucks? I'm gonna get like really, <laughs> you know, like some dude's kicking his dog to death in the first five minutes. No, fuck this. But oh, I yeah. stayed, and um, yeah, it didn't get better. That's the <laughs> no, as you know, true. so terrible. Well- yeah, well, well, we're here to, to commiserate together, Jenny, so that this is how it is. Okay, so um, so when you talk about, so now let's, uh, I guess, get a little bit broader. So when you talk about um, Andrew Arnold as a, as a subversive filmmaker, um, is that sort of in, in regards to the themes that she deals with or in terms of sort of directorial traits or what, what is... I guess when when you say subversive, what is it that you mean that you're like, yes, this is, I, I see it in this woman and this is fucking wonderful what she's doing? I think... Um what I find subversive is again this these very prickly female protagonists, mm. and you know they're not victims. They have things that happen to them that are fucked up, but they do super fucked up stuff. Like they do stuff where you're like, oh my god, what? And that's true of like all of her films. Um, so I, I think that's incredibly subversive. I think. Um, you know, she has a very raw sense of sensuality. There are some really, like, extremely erotic scenes in her movies. And, um, uh, yeah. And the fact that, you know, I don't, like, from what I've read, you know, she's not quite a, like, Catherine Bigelow, like, I'm not a women director, I'm a director. But she, like, kind of is. She's, like, almost, but not quite. She's, mm-hmm. but, but, like, her films are very distinctly um, female. Mm-hmm. And, and that was one thing I did want to talk about, because this was something, and now this is only, and I say this a bit shamefully, uh, only the second uh, female filmmaker that I've covered on on I Do Movies Badly here, and so this was something that we sort of talked about because the first one was I keep wanting to say Jane Eyre. It was Jane Campion. It was not I Jane Eyre. She, she is a fictional person. Um, oh God, she's so amazing. Yeah, and I I ended up loving every film that I saw. Well, I didn't love Sweetie that much, but that's a, a, a discussion for a different day. Um, yeah, but the, the one thing that we talked about was this idea of getting back to this idea of a qualifier because just talking about it was, oh, I'm talking a, about female filmmaker Jane Campion and female came before um, Australian filmmaker or even a generational thing. It was just here is, here's a filmmaker who is a female and sort of made sense, at least in the context of the podcast because it was the first, she was the first of her kind, but... Even saying female filmmaker kind of immediately posits that there is something different and depending on who you are, negative about that. Um, so, I, I mean, in your opinion, and, and being that you that you yourself are uh, a very proud feminist and a very subversive uh, individual... <laughs> you made me sound much more exciting than I am, but okay. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm, I'm trying to build you up here, Jenny. Work with me here. 
um, even having that qualifier of female filmmaker, is that a bad thing? Is that an unfair thing? Because it also seems like by being a film, a female filmmaker in a world which is majorly, uh, majorly, that's not a word, the majority of which are, are, are male filmmakers, she, it seems like she could bring something or perspective that if Fish Tank or any one of her films was directed by, I don't know, Martin Scorsese, that she would bring something to it that somebody else necessarily wouldn't be able to. Here's Theodora. Um, okay, I think like what what you're asking is is a really interesting and important discussion, and I think like we're all the sum of our parts. We're all, you know, I'm Jenny. I'm Jewish. I'm from Texas. I live in New York. I have all these things, and does that matter? Meh, but it kind of makes me who I am. So like the fact that. You know, I mean, I think your gender and uh, your race and your gender identity and like all of these things shape who you are and what you make as an artist. So it's really hard for me to separate that. Um, I find her movies to be to speak to a very intensely female perspective. Could a man make a movie like that? Sure, I've seen movies that capture the uh, interior life of women wonderfully. Like, I thought Wetlands was brilliant, um, which I highly recommend if you have a strong stomach. <laughs> Did you see it? You're yeah, that happens. That happens. It's fun. No, I think, like... But I think who she is as a person, like who I picture her to be, is is like this sort of crazy, ballsy woman who wins an Oscar for her first first short film and goes, this is the dog's bollocks, you know? So, like, <laughs> like this is all part of who she is. And, um, you know, I looked through her stuff, and she's, uh, you know, talked about this a bit. When I talked to her, she was interested in, you know, just the fact that, we don't see as many female filmmakers because uh, we don't see there just aren't as many female filmmakers. Um, I can't find the quote now, but you know, and she's sort of not specifically, she wasn't that into being like pegged as a female filmmaker into until um, let me see. I read this one interview with the guardian or something and she went to a woman's film festival and she was kind of like, nah, not so into it but by the end she realized like she had discovered all of these filmmakers that she'd never heard of and and had never heard of again because they just disappeared and um she thought it was really amazing so i think like um uh, and then of course in 2010 she was a can she was a jury member at can and um was asked about the sexism of the selection of films and you know, her point was she wouldn't want to be selected just because she was, she wouldn't want her film to be selected just because she was a woman. But um, that ratio, that, that sort of lack of female representation is, uh, quote unquote, true the world over in the world of film. There's just not that many women film directors. I guess can is a small pocket that represents how it is out in the world. And that's a great pity and a great disappointment, et cetera, et cetera. So like, she's definitely not like, Oh, don't think of me as a woman, but, um, you know, I, I think she chafes a little bit, but like, she's definitely, 
her sensibility is feminist. Like, I don't think you can get a movie made anywhere without just having the temerity to believe in yourself and get shit done. And that to me is very feminist. So, but it, it seems like what she is saying based on the, the quotes that you're reading and then also what, what you are also kind of saying, not just in specific, in this regard specifically, but just kind of on a broader thing. Like it, it's being a, a, a filmmaker, like does add something to it, but it doesn't seem like she wants to be included because of that or identified as it. It's like, yeah, that's a part of me. And like, it's, it's important to recognize that, but don't just recognize me because of that or just as that sort of thing. I mean, everyone wants to be recognized on their own merits. Mm -hmm. I think, you know, if you were to sit down and talk to her about experiences, and I mean, I'm like completely talking out of my ass, but I feel like, have you ever seen that Tumblr shit directors, shit women, wait, shit people say to women directors or something? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. And we're just yep. like, how is this even possible? And I feel like there are a million that. And so, you know, if you want to sit down and talk about like systematic, like clawing your way up through the system, whatever, and you know, like it's a whole thing. It's not just um, one person. And you know, it's not that it's not that women or people of color, or queer people, want to have their films or their art seen just because of that, but. Um, but because there's so much amazing art that doesn't get seen simply because of who the gatekeepers of culture are. Mm -hmm. Well, and you, and you talk about gatekeepers and this idea of people who are in positions of power or people who are kind of dictating, like, this is how things should be depicted or how things should be done. And so even, even if Andrea Arnold is not a filmmaker who wants to be identified as, first and foremost, yes, I'm a female, I think there's still something to be said about... I mean, you talk about that she, her films are dealing with things like... Uh, violence and sexuality, which are things that you kind of know, I, I don't want to sound too too presumptuous, but there is at least kind of an idea, if we're talking about mainstream cinema, um, we kind of know how violence and how sex are going to be depicted or come across in films that are directed by men, so just even being a, film, a female, fem fil wow, a female filmmaker, thank you, Friday evening, um, but kind of tackling the, these themes in which we are kind of used to seeing how, how they're how they're no normally depicted. It's almost like she can add something different to the conversation or a different perspective on those certain things. Right. I mean, I, you know, not to get too deep into any of the details, but I would say there are definitely things that she portrays that are um, unique that you don't see a lot of just the sort of rawness and a lot of film. And, you know, I, I think that's probably just who she is as a filmmaker and she happens to be a woman. And I don't know. I don't know. Like, it's sort of like we're eating our own tail, you know, but like, I totally get it. Mm -hmm. And this is, this is a question that I should have asked earlier uh, when you were talking about it, but I, I got distracted by something. I think it was a shiny object. So, but you mentioned that she was, brought up in the estates but what you know for people who may not know what that is i'm not referring to me because of course i know what it is but i just you know so for people who may not understand uh what that was and what the the context or the implications of it is what is that um well i'm looking it up right now because i don't want to misspeak i don't mm -hmm. sound stupid it's basically uh public housing and mm. you know uh it's it, 
it's just that's all it is it's public housing and um it looks different than it does in various cities you know like you would see in new york city it looks you know uh, public housing looks different here than it would in the uk whatever um yeah so that was sort of my first exposure to what uh it looks like to be working class in the uk and uh i'm admittedly very naive and uh yeah Okay, well that's that's fair, and it it does I mean I mean help paint sort of the uh, the the what am I saying here the the tapestry if you will of kind of painting or, or, or piecing together like okay so I, I can kind of get an idea of of where she's coming from now when I'm watching these when I watch these movies so a couple more questions before we kind of get uh, into the, the the meat and the potatoes of, of the episode if you will but I guess. Um, now I, I ask this and, and this might be a foolish question but I ask this of a lot of my guests so. Uh, I am. I'm coming at this at, at these films from a perspective which is not yours. Um, you know, a, a a middle class white guy who was born and raised in the suburbs um, and didn't even uh, you know didn't even really get a, a a glimpse of city living until he was um, well past the drinking age. Um, so, is there? I mean, I mean, there is this wonderful idea that actually, you know, you see it from foreign films that the the more specific stories that they tell, the actual, the more universal, um, not appeal. What's the word that I'm looking for? Relatability comes into play. Um, so, is is there? I mean, is there anything that's going to kind of not even hinder me, but sort of like there's going to be a disconnect where it's like I'm not sure what Andrew Arnold is doing from you know right now. I don't think so. I think I mean, all you need is a sense Love. of. Yes, love. Well, I was going to say empathy, actually, oh. and curiosity. I, I don't think, you know, there should be no hindrance. For I mean, I can't think of any sort of art where you, you would approach it and be like, well, I just don't get it. Like, maybe you would be like, oh, I never thought of that, or I have no idea what it's like to experience that, or like, wow, I know, you know, that's crazy. But like, I don't know. You're a smart guy. You're an empathetic guy. You're not going to be like, well, I'm not, a, you know, 15 year old girl who wants to be a break dancer. Like this movie sucks. <laughs> you know, like it's. I'm, I'd like to pat myself on the back for fooling you into thinking both that I'm empathetic and two that I'm not a 15 year old girl who wants to be a dancer. Because uh, yeah. both, bo you know, both of those things. You're you're way off the mark, Jenny. I'll say I'm that. Sorry. Um, and, and so you make assumptions. <laughs> uh, so the the last question before we kind of get into the into the discussion, and I, I I'm going to apologize for this one because this one I didn't prep you for, and not because <laughs> I wanted it to be a surprise, but because I just legitimately forgot about it. Um, but I always like doing this little thing, and if you need to take some time on this one, that's totally fine. But seeing as um, I am a fan of wordplay, and the, the name of this podcast is I Do Movies Badly, I always like to do this little question, which I like to call. In this regards, it would be, she does movies better. Um, so we have Andrea Arnold as a filmmaker, and we have you who is a fan of Andrea Arnold's work. So I like to take this idea and think, like, okay, we know what she's capable of, we know what she does, but, uh, but it's sort of like the what-if sort of thing. So if there was a film um, that you've seen and you didn't like for another reason, or, or, or just kind of this idea of what kind of film would you like to see Andrea Arnold make? And that could be... Maybe you saw one which is like, eh, I think she would have done this one better. Or sometimes it's just, hey, so-and-so started working on this film, but it didn't work out. But I really would have liked to have seen that. Or sometimes it's just like, 
hey, I'd like to see David Cronenberg make an H.P. Lovecraft adaptation. Yeah. Anything, anything like that. Like, what, what kind of, what is an Andrea Arnold film that you would love to see? Well, I mean, her name has been floated for so many, like, wish lists. Like, oh, wouldn't it be great if she did Wonder Woman or when, you know... <laughs> I don't remember if she was actually attached to Jane Got a Gun or not when that was going through all its various iterations. But, like, I, I think with someone like her, I mean, first of all, I would watch anything she makes, even if it has Shia LaBeouf, which is her next film. <laughs> that they're showing it can, so thanks. Um, but, like, I'm always curious, like about romantic comedies like I, I i would love to see her do a romantic comedy i have this like perverse desire to see all of these like dark and brooding directors and actors just like try to do something light and fluffy i don't know do a romantic comedy like i mean honestly there's so much garbage out there i just like I, I can't even believe how some of it gets made. So I would be thrilled to watch her do anything. I would love to. Um, oh God, I mean, I don't know. I mean, I feel like she's so full of surprises. You know, you don't watch Fish Tank or Red Road and think she's gonna adapt Weathering Heights. Like you just don't. So, um, like, there's so much of what she does is just not happenstance because but it's like you know she just finds people and casts them like mm -hmm. you know like she she found katie jarvis from fish tank her casting agent found her arguing with her boyfriend on like a at a railway station like these are people that are not actors they're just so i think like she has just this amazing talent to bring things out of people that I would see her, I would watch her do anything. Like Jane Campion doing a TV, you know, Top of the Lake. Who would have thought that would have happened? But it's amazing. Um, what do you think a Andrea Arnold Wonder Woman film would actually look like? Oh, my God. I don't know. I think Wonder Woman would just spend a lot of time beating the shit out of everyone. <laughs> I honestly have no idea. It would be very dark and, like... Um, you know, would probably make Zack Snyder look like a little baby. <laughs> it would make Zack Snyder maybe look like Zack Snyder's making a, a Marvel movie instead of his dark, broody... Uh, and, and while we're on the topic of both uh, female filmmakers and um, comic book movies, I talked about this with Gavin Meavis in the past, so I apologize for repeating myself, but as soon as Michelle McLaren left the Wonder Woman movie, I immediately lost all interest in the Wonder Woman movie, because Michelle McLaren is a fantastic director, and I was so excited when she got that, and then it was like, oh, oh, no, not anymore. I, you know, like, I'm kind of at this place where I'm a little burned out, uh, by a lot of this pop culture, so mm -hmm. I'm kind of tuned out, a little bit like obviously not news wise i know patty jenkins is directing wonder woman right yep. <laughs> right She's yeah, but still... very good <laughs> wait yeah right um you know and i know like i talked to a friend of mine who a female friend who went to see batman versus superman dawn of justice disco boogaloo and was like so <laughs> psyched just to see wonder woman because she was like i used to dress up in my underoos and my whole fake Wonder Woman outfit. And so that meant so much to her. And so, like, I enjoy comic books. I enjoy comic book movies. I just am kind of, like, a little bit bored. 
And that probably says more about me than it does really culture in general, but... I think it may... This is certainly a, a larger discussion, I, I but I think... Uh, Based on this, a lot of stuff that I've read and a lot of podcasts that I listen to, uh, you're not alone in that, Jenny. It, it's a, fatigue seems to be setting in, and uh, and especially uh, more so now with uh, with uh, Batman v Superman colon whatever it was supposed to be, and then uh, now Civil War coming out. So you are certainly you are not alone. Don't worry. Uh, in the words of Michael Jackson, you are not alone. I am here with you. I mean, not me, but yeah, Michael. That's <laughs> great. I also think Marvel versus DC is like someone on Twitter said this. It's becoming like Gamergate 2.0. You mm-hmm. can see it in the comments and the tweets and stuff. These fans are like fucking ridiculous. Like they think people are being paid off to give Marvel good reviews or give DC bad reviews, please. And the things they say are just as awful. I mean, like the things they say to like my friends like Jen Yamato or like these, you know, female writers, like people that I won't mention who have been like super stalked and doxxed and like all this stuff, like get over yourselves. It's a fucking movie. Was now and apologies to listeners for digressing, but it's, it's my podcast and I'll, I'll do what I want. I suppose was Jen Yamato. Was that a, was that the, the fairly infamous situation where she gave the Avengers a bad review and she just got torn apart? Was that her or was that somebody else? I mean, that, Recent, no, it wasn't uh, the Avengers. She gave Dawn of Justice a less than like, oh okay, thrilling review. And you know, people show up on Twitter. People show up on Instagram. Like the fights that I've seen break out in her comments on Facebook are not just about Marvel. Like she's you know not afraid to say what she thinks. So she just like goes for it. So I I in which I love, but like. These mouth breathers just come for her. And I'm like, how do you do it? Like someone, I get like a little, like some hostility for some of the stuff I've done from Vice because it's about, you know, witches and the patriarchy or abortion or whatever. And like the people that comment, like I don't even read the comments now, but like the people that tweet stuff at me, like I can't believe it. Someone, no, I'm not going to even say it. Anyway, it's, it's terrible. People are monsters. Get off the internet. Yeah, and that is horseshit too. Because uh, especially because I've I've read so many negative reviews about Batman vs Superman from men, and you haven't heard really too much about like of those people getting harassed. But so of course when a woman does it and she just gets harassed and and, and mocked and trolled and just like come on, that's horseshit. I, I mean we're we're recording this episode on a Friday evening. By the time this episode is published and goes out. Mother's Day will have been passed, but I mean, we got Mother's Day come up. Come on, guys. Would you really kind of say this shit to or in front of your mom? Don't be jackasses. This is horrible. I'm... Sorry. No, no, I was was done, and now I'm I'm interrupting you, so of course I'm part of the problem. (laughs) I, you know, I think my friends who are critics who are men also get a lot of shit from comic book fans. Like, I don't think, I don't... Like, it, I think maybe the tone of the hostility is different. I think the tone is gendered. People are like, you know, if you're a male critic, you're a pussy and you don't know anything, whatever. And if you're a female critic, then you're a dumb whore. So, like, it's, you know, it's all very gendered, but it's still, like, this, the violence, the weird, like, fucked up investment in like ghostbusters or whatever is there (laughs) it just depends how they 
spin it. Like, I know Devin Faraci has gotten crazy amounts of hate from people from Gamergate to, you know, any number of stuff. And, um, you know, he's obviously uh, very dudely. He's got a beard. I've met him. He's mm-hmm. definitely a dude. But, um, yeah, the hostility is incredible. I can't. So, yeah, there's there's definitely a part of me that's like, I don't have to even engage with any of that. So, great. Like, if, if I had a staff job where someone wanted to pay me and, like, where it was like, you need to go see Captain America and parse that, then I'd be like, sweet. Okay, awesome. But, like, you know what? I don't, if I don't have to, cool, that's fine too. I'm going to stay home and watch Scandal. Now, I know I said that I had only two questions before we got into the, the recommendations, but once again, I, it's my podcast, I'll do what I want to. So one other, one other question for you, and then I, I promise listeners we will get into the recommendations, even though, let's be honest, if you know anything about Andrea Arnold, there's really only three films that we can talk about. So, spoilers, sorry everybody. But, um... So you, you've been at the, the online film critic thing for a while now and doing a whole lot of writing in that regard. So in, in your opinion or from your perspective, Boy. In, in regards to what we're talking about here, that, that you know, what seems to be a, 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 a huge level of spite from a certain corner of the film community, do you see that oh, as getting... Oh, film community. They're like, they're, those are the comic book people, the what mm. Those okay. are the film people. Sorry, go on. Yeah, but 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 what I was gonna say is, let let's step out a little bit and just kind of because that that level of harassment, that kind of stuff, is is not limited to the comic book community specifically. But in your time of doing this, uh, are you seeing this as as getting better or getting worse? Uh, you mean online harassment? I don't even mean online harassment specifically as much as um, discourse. I, I was gonna uh, discourse, but I guess specifically in regards to there being a a, a a a place and a voice, a growing voice for females, whether that be artists, writers, whatever. Oh well, this is something I think uh, about a lot mm-hmm. and um, talk about a lot with uh, my friends who are also women who also are in various sorts of media, whether that's, you know, TV or film or, you know, they're in the mix. They're, they're dealing with pretty much the same bullshit. And, um, it's, it's really hard because, um, you know, I, you know, I think maybe what you're specifically referring to is recently, um, women in Hollywood posted the feature that was like, you know, great. Another guy gets a sweet job. Owen Gleiberman. Woo. And, you know, like congrats to him. But like, there are so many other people that don't get the like sort of grooming and teaching that's necessary to really be like an interesting and interested media critic. Um, with, out going through this system of of like you know working with editors with great editors has been the thing that has taught me the most so if I find someone like that I just try to keep working with them and it doesn't matter how little or much they can pay me they're gonna help me make my writing better and I think a lot of people don't necessarily have access to that and so um, you know like, it's not so much, like, for me personally, I think there are a lot of amazing film writers of 
who are, who are my friends, who are men, who are, you know, whatever this, this thing that we're railing against, but like, they're awesome writers and I love them and I think they're cool. But, um, so I think it's like a whole thing of like the internet economy and the sort of everyone has a voice and everyone has an opinion and now we all want to get paid for it. But like, maybe not everyone deserves to, but like, you should be paid for your labor for sure. But like, you know, and then there's a total homogeny of the voices that do become the loudest and that, you know, that get amplified through publications like Variety or, you know, any number of high profile publications. So, you know, it's that thing, like Andrea Arnold said, she doesn't want to be selected because she's just a female director. She wants to be selected because she's a fucking great director. The point is trying to get her movies are writing anything into the eyes and ears and hands of people who can make any sort of decisions happen. You've, you've said some great points. So uh, let's, why don't we get into the thing that I've been promising we'll be getting into, we would be getting into for the last 20 minutes or so. I wanted to add a little, a little footnote. I don't really think of myself as a film critic. I don't often work as a film critic. Most of my paid work is not film criticism. I never even took one film class. I, I that's not even good grammar. So, like, you know, I'm I'm just a monster with an opinion like everyone else mm -hmm. and um like I don't know what to say. Sometimes it, it, like it, just the whole like freelance film criticism gig is so exhausting that I'm just kind of like, well, whatever. <laughs> That's part, pretty much why I just do it for bus because I get to see what I'm interested in and I don't have to like, you know, go see whatever horrible movie is opening at 10 a.m. on a Friday because that's what freelancers get. Like that, those are the assignments you get. And like, that's cool. That's part of the deal. But like, after a while, I get a little burned out. Well, Jenny, if you're trying to talk me out of being on this podcast, you've already you're already on the podcast, so you, you know I'm stuck with you now. So maybe we should have said this before we started recording. <laughs> but okay, so without further ado, why don't what, what? I'm quoted on those DVDs. What do you want from me? I know, right, guys? If, if you forgot, it says or guys and girls, it says chilling. Uh, period. One train you shouldn't miss. That's Jenny Miller. Right um, I was also quoted on the giant theater stand-up thing for Wetlands. Oh. Like one of those giant... And every once in a while I'll find quotes from my bust reviews on DVDs, but they just say bust. They don't have my name, and then I get right. sad. So anyway, I'm, I'm out there. I'm mixing it up. If anyone no. wants to hire me, feel free. And, and not, only, not only are you out there, but... On this DVD for Trans-Siberian, your quote is right underneath Roger Ebert's four-star review. Or, or no, I'm sorry, three-and-a-half-star review. <laughs> Moving on up in the world. Even though this was eight years ago, it's fine. But, uh, all right, so, so now, now without further ado, now I promise the meat of the episode, we're going to talk about the recommendations for Andrea Arnold. And once again, uh, she's only made three features, so there's not a whole lot of uh, surprise that's going to be coming out. So... But I, I guess the, the surprise will be, in which order is Jenny going to recommend these films to me? It could be chronologically, it could be in alphabetical order, maybe Jenny has some type of um, cryptic, archaic um, system of organization that I don't know about, but 
Um, only one way to find out, and that's for uh, for you to begin, Jenny. So, what is your your number one recommendation, or not number one, but your first recommendation for Andrea Arnold? I mean, I I say why not start chronologically? Uh, just you know, live dangerously. Start with uh, Red Road, which uh, hold on, let me look at my notes. This was her first narrative. Uh, it came out in 2006. It was a huge you know, hit, BAFTAs, can all this stuff. Um, and it touches on a lot. It touches on the themes that she returns to, the outsider, the person who makes dubious moral calls, the idea of watching, the idea of these sort of wounds that we carry with us and, and how we sort of perpetuate that violence. Um, and uh, it has Kate Dickey in it. Which, who you might remember as the mother who breastfeeds the like twelve-year-old in Game of Thrones. Oh yes, there, and she was in The Witch. Yes, she was too, which is an excellent film. Yes, so um, that takes place in Glasgow, but again has like a lot of um, there's stuff about you know the estates and class and sort of chafing against each other. Um, it's really interesting, and um, I just saw it for the first time the other night, and I think it's excellent and a fine place to start. Mm -hmm. So this is this is this is the most. Uh, not only is it the first recommendation because of of chrono uh, chron chronology, I am awful tonight. I and I apologize to everybody that has to be subjected to this. But so not only because of chronology, but it's also the freshest one in your mind. Well, yeah, that's the thing. It's the freshest one in my mind. I watched, I rewatched Fish Tank about a week or so ago. That is on Netflix Instant. Thank you, Netflix Instant. And um, was struck by details that I had forgotten. And mm -hmm. that was really exciting. Um, I, You know, Fish Tank was her second narrative. Okay, so she won her first Oscar, first and so far only Oscar for the short film Wasp in 2003. And, um, so she was starting to make short films in the late 90s, early aughts, and then 2006 was just like this breakout film. And, you know, not breakout insofar as if you're going to like talk to some person on the subway and be like, dude, you see Red Road? But, you know, like whatever, a film nerd like us will be like, oh, tell me more. So anyway, I feel like 2009 was like just fish tank she made 2000 she made fish tank in 2009 and for me maybe because that's the first thing i saw by her it is just like such a a like it's just combust combustive it's just like insane she's really just starting to hit her stride figure it out she's playing with this four three ratio so it's super claustrophobic Ooh, okay. and it's super like the things that she did in Red Road by being up in people's faces and using lighting and there's a whole thing within Red Road about closed circuit TV that's the whole, one of the characters like watches closed circuit TV, like that's her job whatever, anyway so this idea of looking and, and watching and the outsiderness really um, becomes much more visceral like she, it sort of draws out the things in Red Road because you know Red Road is definitely like got that like sort of oh now you're just running with a camera in your hand cool <laughs> you know so you're like just right there in it but like a fish tank is is visceral in a different way um, 
or maybe just in a more assured way. Um, Katie Jarvis is amazing. She uh, plays, hold on, I'm having a total... Mia is her name. Yes, Mia, thank you. She plays Mia, the protagonist, the breakdancing chick, and um, young Harry Treadaway plays this sort of uh, kid that she runs into in the neighborhood. Um, and then Fast Finder, Fast Finder shows up as, you know, the hot mom, mom's hot boyfriend. You know, her mom is a hot mess. Her mom, it's like seriously like a child abuse, like kind of like her little eight-year-old sisters, like smoking cigarettes and drinking beer and calling everyone cunts. Like it's a situation. It's a thing. So anyway, it's it's just, but like um, I mentioned before, she her casting director just like found Katie Jarvis and was sort of like, give us a call, you know. So she's she's completely fresh and new, and um, you know the way they work together on the script and sort of, you know, from my interview with Andrew Arnold, like she worked out what she told talked to Katie about some of the more sensitive aspects of her performance, shall we say, what the script would have in in store for her because she is a newcomer and she's so young. But um, basically it was just giving people like pages, you know, just ahead of time. So like, oh, here's what you're doing. Have fun, you know. Um, <laughs> so it's like just really alive and um, has amazing music. That's the other thing. She uses really awesome music in Red Road. Like, I was like, oh, really? At the very end, she uses this sort of, like, kind of, like, weirdly chipper song. And then you realize it's, like, a Joy Division cover. And you're like, oh, brilliant. So, um, yeah, the music, the dancing, everything, like, the sex, violence. Which is not to say it's, like, you know, crazy gunshots, beatings, whatever, and fish tank. But it's a very sort of physical movie mm-hmm. and fun thing a, a fun little tidbit about fish tank is that um even though it was called fish tank for the longest time when we were discussing or, or, or talking about this um i assumed it was animal kingdom uh because apparently anything which involves an animal uh noun and some other type of um controlled environment uh, i just assume is going to be animal kingdom um yeah so so I was like, oh, I'm pretty sure I know what she's going to say about this movie. And then it turned out to be not that movie at all. So um, I, I am going in completely blind uh, into both of these movies. And so I, I guess um, uh, I, I have, I have uh, nothing further to say about that. But I will say I will step back and touch a little bit because uh, obviously I always like to touch on uh, availability. Unfortunately, and this was something that Jenny and I discovered um, Red Road, um, unless you have a, 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 Netflix, a Netflix disc subscription, as Jenny and I both do, um, although Jenny had to kind of rediscover hers. <laughs> for There's this. some that are lost. <laughs> um, if you don't have that, you're, you're a little bit um, SOL, which in the industry means shit out of luck. Um, or in my household growing up, sorry, out of luck. Thanks, Mom, for trying to shield me from the curses. That's um, horrible. Yeah. Uh, I, I, think, I think if you, uh, if you live in England, and I do have some listeners from England, uh, you, can, you can download um, Red Road uh, on iTunes if you're in England, but not if you are uh, in America, unfortunately. So, or if you are a New York City resident, um, I believe that um, uh, Video Free Brooklyn 
does have it to rent as well. But uh, I, I will, uh, of course, I will get into the availability of every single title in more detail when I record the episode. The Fish Tank, uh, upon first glance, seems to be much more available. As Jenny said, it is uh, available to stream on Netflix. Um, if you don't have Netflix streaming for some strange reason, uh, maybe you're philosophically opposed to it, it's also um, available for digital rental on iTunes, on Google Play, uh, on YouTube, because apparently there are people that rent movies off of YouTube, I guess. Um, and you can also buy it on iTunes uh, and Google Play as well. So um, so we have Red Rocks, and uh, Red. I'm sorry, um, Red Road. Red Rocks is um, clearly a John Dahl film, I believe. Um, I think, I don't know, or a concert venue. Uh, but so we have Red Road and Fish Tank, and no, it is not Red Road, the TV series uh, from Sundance starring Jason Momoa. Um, oh my God, how amazing would that be, though? If Andrew Arnold made a movie with him, so good. <laughs> Down for whatever. He's like all about the badass women. He's married to Lisa fucking Bonet. He knows what's up. Yeah. And and uh, the Game of Thrones tie, of course, he was a he was the character Khal Drogo who was married to a to Daenerys Targaryen until he what ended up happening to him? I don't know. Some, I don't know. He he died, but it was in like season one, so it was a long, long time ago. So I kind of forget what happens. Uh, and I say this as being a huge Game of Thrones fan, but I digress. I've digressed way too often in this uh, in this uh, episode already. Oh, and also, um, Fish Tank is also available to rent on Amazon. Yeah. Uh, so you really have no excuse. Uh, to not see this. Wait, you really have... You should see this movie. Yeah. No, yeah, it's is basically what it seems like. And you know what? I do know that Red Road was at one point available on Netflix Instant. Um, so I think it's just a matter of keeping your eye out. Now you know. Just keep your eye out for it. Mm-hmm. I've always seen uh, some deals with the Netflix taking the films on and off. Who knows? Whatever. The way that you said that and gesticulated with your hands was like you were really trying to be a mom at that point. <laughs> like talking to your kids about like the Netflix. Like, oh, do you tweet on the Instagrams, kids? Like, Thank you. Okay, so, so then of course, um, seeing as she has only three uh, titles to her name, which yeah. is somehow less than, uh, than Whit Stillman, who I offer, also covered on this podcast, which means that there's only one more film left to yes. talk about. And Jenny, that is... That is Weathering Heights, which I first saw at Sundance, and I know I keep using the same words, visceral, physical, sensual, but, like, um, there's no other word for Weathering Heights. Her interpretation, which she, I think, very recently during one of the Tribeca talks said that she didn't really like, um, is just, you can smell it. You can smell, it's muddy, it's dirty, it's like, this is not, you know, foo-foo, you know, believe me, I love Jane Eyre, I fucking love Jane Eyre, Fukunaga, Fassi, and a nightgown, yes, but, but this, you know, this is a different Bronte, a different take on Bronte, um, and a different Bronte, if I remember, I don't know, I, I can't remember. It, um, it is Emily Bronte, yes, and not Charlotte Bronte. I'm the worst. Anyway, um, so it's like, first what she did was, and I don't think, I think, I don't want to misspeak, but I think on purpose she was looking to cast a person of color as Heathcliff. So, which is, shouldn't be revolutionary, but it was the first time a black man had ever played Heathcliff, 
which is notable because the text itself is rife with uh, with racial. I mean, not just you know, not just a subtext. It's it's like slurs, and you know, it's it's a huge part of the dynamic and of his character. And some might even say his like function. You know, if you want to think of him as like. Uh, you know, in a Jungian sense, like Kathy's shadow, which is, is I'm very uncomfortable with it. That sort of, that, that really grosses me out, but like, whatever, Bronte, I don't know. So anyway, but if you look at the text itself, it's, it's like, you know, race has a lot to do with the character. So, um, again, her casting agent uh, they put up a sign at like some employ, you know, job center in Leeds, and this guy showed up who had been like on the dole and in jail and all this different shit, and he was amazing. He he is amazing. I have not been able to see any stories about him since 2012 because unfortunately he um, is. Uh, it's a certain British term that I'm not super familiar with, so I want to make sure I get it right. A bloke. <laughs> no, he's he's sort of. Uh, I want to say like it's the equivalent of being remanded to the state. Basically, he was oh. he was uh, he attacked. He he verbally and physically attacked his pregnant girlfriend, <laughs> and and uh, abused her with racial epithets and so on and was eventually like sort of uh, judged to be mentally unfit and you know I believe his lawyer said he was uh, on antipsychosis medication or something it's it's a sad situation it's it's sad so um, that guy has a pretty tragic story <laughs> and, um, and he's, he's amazing. I mean, everyone in the movie is fantastic. It is again, four, three ratio and it wow. is so up in everyone's business. It is so like this camera, there's this one scene that I can't get out of my head where as children, they're riding on, I don't know, a horse or something. And it's like the camera is just hovering near their ears and in her hair. And, you know, you can hear the wind. And it's so immediate and so incredible. Um, so uh, I just, I think it's amazing. Like if you, you know, one of the, I actually wrote about this for the AV Club. And it was sort of like my hypothesis is you're either like a Jane Austen like sort of cheery person or you're like uh you know one of the Brontes like you're either that or you know so like if you like Bronte this is like super goth like this is like hardcore <laughs> like Victorian like people dying of like coughing diseases or whatever goth so um you know, it's only the first half of the book, but it's uh, it's a physically affecting experience, especially if you're prone to motion sickness. So um, that's something to think about if you are uh, very sensitive to like Lars von Trier, any handheld sort of stuff. Like you want to sit way in the back. <laughs> you're going to be like real sorry if you don't. 
And now, so you said that this this film is only half of the book? Yeah, there's a whole second half about, you know, uh, Heathcliff's son and the, and the whole thing. But this it just ends with uh, when Heathcliff and Kathy's sort of specific arc end. And now, I, I haven't, now I haven't read Wuthering Heights at all. And normally when it comes to a, a literary adaptation, I'm not too concerned about that because uh, books and films are two very different things, as we all know, because we are, in theory, intelligent human beings. But when it comes to something like Wuthering Heights, where there is a casting of, uh, uh, of an African-American person in a role which was maybe not intended for uh, an African-American, or maybe it was, but, but it was always depicted as a white person... Um, it sort of is a, I wonder if there's almost going to be something lost on me because in order to really fully subvert something, there sort of has to be an understanding of how it was to begin with. Um, so is is, having not read Wuthering Heights or even being that familiar with it, do you think that's going to be a problem for me? No, not at all. I mean, I think the language that they use to talk about Heathcliff and talk to Heathcliff and verbally abuse Heathcliff, um textually the cues are there in fact it's weird that Laurence Olivier would play someone who's being described as um, you know a quote unquote gypsy and all these sort of loaded uh, racial terms so it's kind of absurd that it's always been played by a white guy but what are you going to do there's Uh, so yeah, and of course, uh, Jenny was referring to uh, William Wyler's adaptation of Wuthering Heights from the 1930s. Uh, and now just being on uh, on IMDb and looking through this, I'm wondering um, if this will even be the best Wuthering Heights adaptation, because apparently there's a TV miniseries in which Tom Harding is the star. I know. Uh, that's one of the, like, desks that's lost somewhere in my apartment, I think. <laughs> <laughs> Um, and I, I, I'd see Tom Hardy in pretty much anything. So it looks like he's wearing a really bad wig. It does look like he's wearing an absolutely terrible there, wig. Yeah, like there's something so, like, casually cruel about so many things in Wuthering Heights. It's intensely beautiful, but there's just it's so dark. It's so grim. And, you know, I think, like, what she's had to say about the making of it, and it was, you know, they lost the light, and it wasn't the shot she wanted to get or whatever, and she was in a dark place at the time. And I don't know. Whatever her thoughts on it are, I think it's a masterpiece. So. All right. Well, hey, I mean, once again, uh, when it comes to – uh, I mean, since we're on the topic of, of female filmmakers and adaptations, I'm going to say that uh, I, I guess it's not really an adaptation, but when it came to Jane Campion, uh, Bright Star, I fucking loved. And even though Bright Star is not based on a specific work, it was still based on um, something which was something, yeah. a, a relationship that, that generated at least some type of work. So I, 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 I'm, I'm, I think what I'm saying is I'm sort of inclined to like Wuthering Heights. So, uh, you know, that, of all three of these, I think that one's the one that I've got the highest hopes for. Yeah, I mean, if you like Bright Star, I think you'll like this a lot. Uh, mm. I think Bright Star is fantastic and um, just adore it and think um, this is different. It's, uh, I, I, in my memory, I haven't seen Bright Star since, uh, it was screening for mm-hmm. critics, so I don't even 
Like, I think I saw that like long lead. So I don't even know how long ago it was. But um, it, it strikes me as much more like light filled, if you will, like kind of mm-hmm. airier. There's yeah, yeah. more sunshine and wide open spaces. And this is all about just being in the mud, like just the goo and dirt and nastiness of of the moors and then you know the sort of struggle when um Heathcliff comes into money and you know Kathy marries someone fancy and rich that's not a spoiler if it is I'm sorry the book's like really old so get over it okay um so I guess a uh, a couple of questions before we kind of wrap up here. The first one is I'll start with like so. Let's say three movies enter the ring. We've got uh, Wuthering Heights from Andrea Arnold. We've got Bright Star from Jane Campion, and then we've got Pride and Prejudice from uh, Joe Wright. All three of them walk into a ring, get in a fight. Which one walks out victorious? And that's in any regards. I don't even mean necessarily a physical fight, but which one comes out the victor in your mind? I mean, I feel like the people in Wuthering Heights would just beat the shit out of everyone else. <laughs> um, I I think they're all, like, I know I'm cheating by just being like, they're all super different, but, like, they're extremely different. Pride and Prejudice has the whole... Wait, what? Am I thinking of Pride and Prejudice, or I'm thinking of Anagram? <laughs> I don't know. What do you want from me? Pride and Prejudice had uh, Keira Knightley in it. Oh my God! Of course. You know what? I haven't seen it. Okay. <laughs> but it's got Colin Firth, and you know, this is—is is this the one where he's in the wet shirt and everyone's like freaking out, or? Is- uh, I, honestly, I don't know. I haven't seen it either. Um, I, I've, I've read Pride and Prejudice. I loved Pride and Prejudice. I've seen certain adaptations of it, but I have not seen that one. I'm thinking of... Oh God, I don't know. Anyway, that would definitely not win. I, okay. I think I think Weathering Heights is just balls to the wall. Fair it's- enough. Okay, and so then I guess the final question is so... Um, these these have all been recommended in, in chronological order, and that's the order that I will watch them in, which, of course, sort of um, has the benefit for me of sort of I can see how Andrea Arnold has sort of evolved as a filmmaker, how she's come along, that sort of thing. But I'm curious as to your perspective, because you saw Fish Tank and Wuthering Heights first and then went back and saw her very first film as the last thing. What was that experience like for you? Um, well, first of all, I think watching a film at home is always different. Uh, I didn't watch it all in one sitting, which I think is, you know, absolutely affects the way you experience a film. I think not seeing it in in a theater experience, you know, affects how you experience a film. So seeing Fish Tank and Weathering Heights in these much more enveloping sort of overwhelming experiences, especially something like Sundance where everyone's just like, bananas because there's not enough like fucking oxygen there and you know it's just everyone's crazy like we're all just lunatics so uh, I think like uh like definitely Red Road would have benefited from me seeing it in a theater where I was not allowed to you know get up and get a snack or you know my cat wasn't gonna sit in front of the tv (laughs) you know um and stuff like that but uh you know i can definitely see how it would be in a theatrical uh 
presentation just as affecting and claustrophobic and, and sort of like all, you know, these things that I'm talking about in terms of her work, I think they're there. Okay. And now, um, will you be, uh, will you be seeing American Honey whenever you get the chance? Yes. And it, I mean, it's, even without having seen anything from Andrew Arnold, it seems like it's going to be a little bit intimidating. It's, it's over two and a half hours long. It's, at least on IMDb, co- uh, tagged primarily as a comedy drama and has Shia LaBeouf. Are you prepared for that? I don't think it's really a comedy, but <laughs> I, don't, I, I don't know. People like to say things are comedies. Like they're, I don't know. I feel like there's a lot of questionable marketing happening, like mm-hmm. The Lobster is not a romantic comedy. You should not bring a date to that. <laughs> like, I sat near this couple who went to see Rust and Bone on a date, and we're, like, okay. freaking out. I'm like, you know what? No. So, anyway, I'm I'm skeptical until I see what it really is. Fair and, enough. And also, I think uh, there's a good chance that her uh, sense of humor is maybe a little different than some of ours. <laughs> <laughs> It certainly seems like it, um, it but I, I think, uh, um, what was I going to say? Well, Wuthering Heights uh, also seems like it is available for free on Amazon uh, if you have an Amazon Prime account, so that's also very good. And uh, I, I think I'd be remiss if we didn't also mention that um, Andrea Arnold, uh, another one of her significant or, or uh, uh, noteworthy directing credits, uh, two episodes of Transparent, which is a, a very subversive and award-winning show uh, from Amazon as well. So. Um, okay, so and and if anyone needs um, a, a refresher, so we got Red Road from 2006, we got Fish Tank from 2009, and we wrapped it all up with Worthing Heights from 2011. So, um, Jenny, thank you for joining me here. And I guess if people were like, "Hey, this this broad seems cool. I want to follow her online or, and, and see what some of she's up to." Where where can people find you online once again? You can find me at Jenny Miller, J E N N I Miller dot com, and that will have links to. Twitter and my email and all the stuff so you too can send me emails like Big Mike from Massachusetts who emailed to inform me that abortions are as easy to get as lottery tickets in Massachusetts and I must be smoking crack. <laughs> um, I, I laugh at that for two reasons. One, that's okay. That, that's uh, poetic in its own way, I suppose. But also... Um, I, I, uh, I have a friend who, who goes by the name of Big Mike and, uh, it's, I, I can see in my mind this physical form of him saying that and it wouldn't be out of place for him to say something like that. I'm going to stop emailing me. I'm well, he just d- kidding. He, just, he, only, he only emailed me once. It's okay. Okay. And he doesn't live in Massachusetts either. So I, I don't think it, it's the same one, but, um, okay. Yeah. And also what, what about, uh, what about Twitter? Do you want people to follow you on Twitter? Maybe if they want to, it's a lot of like cat pictures and stuff, but it's just <laughs> Ms. Like Ms. Magazine, Jenny Miller. And remember that is a Jenny with an I, not a Y. If you go to Jenny with a Y, I don't know what's going to, what's going to come up. So maybe try that, I guess instead. Um, and now before I let you go, Jenny, I, I have a memory in my head, but I'm not sure if this is from you or not so confirm or deny if you will but something about a, a blog about you walking out of the of the evil dead remake. Oh, <laughs> yeah i did walk out of evil dead and i wrote an article about it mm-hmm. um i had a lot of feelings yeah and, and it's it's funny um and the reason that sticks out to me is because um as as a horror fan who loved the original evil dead and had uh, high hopes for the remake um i read that and i'm like 
yeah, I wish I would have walked out, but instead I stuck around for the entire thing, so. Well, I had a panic attack, so it was, mm-hmm. it was bad. Yeah. <laughs> kind of ran right. out. Right. <laughs> <laughs> she started, right. like, sawing her jaw off. I was like, right, fuck it, bye. <laughs> My editor was not happy. <laughs> All right. Well, at least I can I can correctly attribute that to you and, and, and not falsely attribute that to you when, when it was somebody else that you take credit for. But um, yeah, so that that was uh, that's all the stuff uh, uh, from Jenny Mail. And of course, if you are not already uh, doing this for me, it's easy enough to get in touch with me. You do movies badly at gmail.com. Find I do movies badly on Facebook. I am Nolan Fixes Teeth on Twitter. Jenny and I are Twitter friends. So hooray. Hey. Um, where else am I? Uh, I mean, find I Do Movies Badly on iTunes uh, or go to battleshipretention.com. Go to the podcast drop-down menu, and you can also find all my back episodes there. So uh, that about does it uh, for me and for this introductory episode. Jenny, thank you once again for joining me here on I Do Movies Badly. Thanks for having me. And uh, everyone, be sure to, uh, to tune in next week where I'll be covering uh, Red Road, and we'll hopefully I'll be just a little bit less ignorant. This program is a proud member of the Battleship Pretension Fleet.